For more than half a year now, the world has been in turmoil as the effects of COVID-19 are felt in every nation. The health, social and economic impacts are enormous and the end does not appear to be in sight. Nations and even provinces within nations have resorted to well-worn responses, including a lockdown on travel, particularly international travel. Visitors from abroad and even returning residents are viewed with suspicion, justifiably so, perhaps as any one of them could be the start of a new, highly infectious cluster. So what will travel look like in future? I'm joined today by two leading experts in the world of pandemics and border control to provide some insight into our new world of travel movement. Dr John Shepherd has over 30 years of medical expertise in communicable diseases and international public health. He was responsible for clinical operations in Australia's Ebola response in West Africa and led the first nationwide GP telehealth helpline. Klaus Felsch founded the first advanced analytics unit in immigration and border protection. He developed and deployed the analytics-driven risk systems for border and visa processing. Welcome to you both. It's great to have you here talking about the new platform, GoPassport. So I'd like to start by asking Dr. Shepard, why is COVID-19 such a threat compared to other viral infections? So Michelle, six months into this pandemic, uh, and there's still a lot we don't know about this virus, but what we do know is that it's a nasty virus. If it was a jet aircraft, I think we'd call it a stealth bomber. A virus's reason for being is to reproduce itself. And to do this, it needs to jump from one person to the next. And this one, this virus has developed itself, so it's really good at that. If someone's got this, they might not know about it. 40% of patients with COVID don't even know they've got this virus, but they're out in the community, spreading it around, looking for that next victim. It stays on surfaces for many hours, and in fact days, and it can remain in the air for hours or even longer, we think, perhaps. And then once it gets into a person's body, it can do a lot of damage and uh, it can cause lung infections and a whole range of different, different conditions. The case fatality rate is about 1% for this virus, which doesn't sound high. Earlier on in the epidemic, we probably thought it was a bit higher, but as things are stabilising, it's about 1% of people who catch this virus die. That doesn't sound a lot. However, if you think about, if you compare it to the common flu, the fatality rate for that is about less than 0.1%. And every winter, our health services are overwhelmed with flu and we really struggle to manage flu. So imagine if something 10 times as fatal as flu was to overwhelm our hospitals. And that's why early in this pandemic, we did a lot of work to really upskill um, our ICU staff and our upskill our, the capacity in our ICUs to cater for this. Interesting. And so I believe this is your fourth pandemic. So what is different about this one today? What's different is against that stealth aircraft, we now have digital technology to help fight us, fight that virus. Um, and we can be a little bit more precise, a little bit more targeted about what we're doing. For 700 years, we've been doing the same thing in the faces of pan pandemics, and that is quarantine. It's a very blunt tool that we apply equally to everybody, and it has massive impacts. And we're seeing that in our society and in our industries and in our economy. So we think that we can do this in a slightly more refined, targeted way that reduces some of those impacts. Yeah, it makes sense. So how safe will it be to travel? 
in the future? Look, I think with appropriate measures, appropriate precautions, appropriate screening, we can do this. With appropriate testing and other risk-based approaches, we can do this. But it needs to be in a very targeted, very gradual, test-as-we-go approach. And that's what we believe we can do. Yeah, great. And so I might um, go to you now, Klaus. Uh, How will Go Passport make it safer to travel in future? Okay, so the, the first thing is, is that Go Passport will try to make sure that every traveller, travelling towards Australia in this case, travels without an infection. We want to be absolutely certain that somebody getting on the plane has no risk of infection, has little possibility of infecting anybody else, even on the aircraft. Now, the way we do that is uh, an end-to-end process. The first thing we do all the time is we're ingesting a lot of information and data from around the world 24-7 and analysing that data to identify areas of risk and levels of risk represented by locations, by transport systems, by airports and other things that are happening in the world. And what we do is we basically try to guide travellers away from areas of risk. So it makes it safer for travellers to avoid the risk in the first place. Every traveller will end up with a health status flag as part of their identity within Go Passport, and that health status flag changes depending on what risk the person is exposed to. So, for example, if a person is coming from a very low-risk environment but transits through a high-risk airport, then the health status flag can change from being green to being perhaps amber or even red if they spend too much time in those locations. That health status flag stays with that traveller all the way through the journey and is used by us to manage that traveller so that, for example, if the person has inadvertently been exposed to risk, the status flag will turn red and therefore the authorities will be automatically notified by our systems that the status flag is now red and something has to be done with that traveller to make sure that person does not enter an aircraft, does not travel to Australia without further precautions being uh, being met. So we basically protect the traveller by guiding them around the risk. We guide the traveller to make sure the traveller actually knows what they're supposed to do to prepare for a journey. So do they need vaccinations? Do they need uh, testing? How many tests do they need to do? Will they need to go into quarantine? Go Passport will tell the traveller what to do. And then Go Passport will also make sure that the traveller has done those things uh, all the way through by basically making sure that the traveller has completed the tests and the test results are clear. We then make sure that the border authorities and the health authorities in Australia have real-time visibility of the status of the traveller when they arrive and can manage any residual risk that exists. The bottom line is that we want to actually stop people from having a problem before they get on the plane, before they come to Australia, so they don't overwhelm local infrastructure. Makes sense. Yeah. So can you step me through that? Because that all um, sounds fabulous, but I want to understand I'm a traveller that like, let's pretend I'm from overseas and I'm coming to Australia for study or for business and I apply for a visa to come to Australia. And then what happens? So I'm sitting in my home country. How do I go about applying or using Go Passport? What we will do is uh, once you have your visa, uh, you will go and make your travel arrangements. You will probably see a travel agent, particularly if you're 
uh, non-native English speaker and you're trying to work your way through all of those English language materials that we publish. And part of that process when you see a travel agent is to actually enroll in GoPassport. You basically enroll online and you're then given a code which allows you to download the app and that will then contain your core details. Your travel agent system will actually provide your itinerary details to go passport. What happens then is, if you remember I said we constantly monitor risk around the world, we actually check your itinerary against hotspots in the world. And if any of those hotspots are on your itinerary, we tell you and your travel agent that it might be a very, very good idea to change your itinerary to avoid those hotspots. Go Passport will then say, well, where are you from? How long are you staying? And what does the Australian government require you to do before you travel? For the next seven or eight days before you travel, we will monitor where you go and guide you away from places that will actually change your status from green. So you do not uh, enter inadvertently any hot zone in the world, you'll be able to board without any complications at all, no more work to do, you're on the plane, and then you travel to Australia. And depending on the current government rules, we'll even guide you once you land in Australia to whatever post-arrival uh, requirements you have to meet. So it's basically all in one package. And even when you return, we will try to keep in touch with you for about a fortnight to warn you that if you have inadvertently come in contact with anybody who might have been infectious, that you should seek medical advice. Fantastic. No, so it does encompass a lot of things there, which is great. It gives me a lot of comfort. So, John, if I can ask you, how many tests would I have to have before I come? Because I guess airlines are now talking about testing pre-boarding. So why would I need to do the tests, as Klaus just explained, before I actually board the plane? Yes, now that, that's a good question and we'll be guided a little bit by government policy around this, but what the evidence tells us is that early in this disease, uh, it might be the first four days or the first six days, there's a window when in fact the tests are quite likely to be negative. So even though you've got the virus and you're infected, your tests are going to show up negative. So you could be on that aircraft uh, infecting the other people in the aeroplane, in transit or on arrival before your tests turn positive. What we propose is that starting early, maybe four days before um, you travel, we do an initial test then. So it's really to a couple of tests during that window to make sure we're absolutely, we've absolutely got this correct. One of the advantages of this approach also is that with this sort of um, mechanism, we can perhaps reduce the quarantine time. So the standard quarantine time of 14 days now, with this sort of approach, maybe we can reduce that down to 10 or, e or even less. So that reduces the cost of quarantine, um, whether it's government paying or, or a private traveller paying, and obviously the inconvenience of being stuck in a hotel for 14 days and everything that goes with that. Makes sense. That's great. So, Klaus, you were talking about there about the process. Who actually pays for the app? Do I pay for it as the traveller or does my travel provider? How does that work? Uh, so it really depends on how convincing you are. 
if you're traveling on a corporate budget, your boss will pay. If you're traveling privately, then you will pay. The key there is, is that there are some fixed infrastructure costs, all that messaging costs money and everything else. So we have to maintain the infrastructure to keep communicating with you. There is uh, no other real option but to provide that to the traveler. The costs are not going to be huge compared to the cost of travel. It's less than a packet of cigarettes in Australia, effectively. Just on that cost, if I can, if I can jump in, it's around the cost that we're avoiding as well. So if we, if we don't get this right, the cost to our economy and to our country is massive. And we've seen that. We've seen that particularly in Melbourne. So there, it's, the, it's, the, it's the avoidance of those costs. We know that, you know, mental health in some age, age groups is a third increased over what its normal baseline. There's another cost. We know that people are avoiding their normal preventative checks, being frightened to go to the doctor to go to hospital. Those diseases will eventually be picked up further in their, further in their lifespan, but they'll be more advanced and have a greater cost then. So I think we need to take a, a, a global holistic approach to what those costs are. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And if I can move then now to a, a sort of a longer term view, what happens, John, if a vaccination comes? So, you know, the question in my mind is how relevant will Go Passport be then once we have a vaccination? Sure. A vaccine is not a magic bullet. A couple of things I'd say about a vaccine. No vaccine is 100%. So some people, even though they take, have the vaccine, they still don't mount a response and are not immune, still not, not immune to the virus. It's going to take us some time to get the vaccine out to everybody in the world so there is sufficient immunity out there that we're safe. The vaccine wanes, any vaccine wanes over time. Now, currently, we need to get a flu vaccine every 12 months. Probably recommendations are that we have it more often than that. So um, we still don't know how long a COVID vaccine would last for, but it might be six months. Some people say three months. So where are you in that cycle? Have you had your booster? And the last point I'd make is that the virus will mutate and the vaccine that you might have had six months ago might not, might not be the active against the, the version of the virus which is going around now. So absolutely vaccination will be, will be part of it, but it won't be the be-all and end-all. And some of these other things will help us mitigate that risk. No one strategy that we're proposing here will do everything, but a layered approach, um, and it's very unlikely that someone would get through all these, all these approaches. Yeah, it makes sense, the layered approach that you're talking about there. And, you know, essentially, I guess this is with us now for uh, a very long time. So we need to adapt and change. And part of our travel requirements is is included in that, right? And look, people are talking about maybe this is something that we will not eradicate, but that we will need to manage like we manage flu in our community. And that then this will be this will be the ongoing scenario. The thing is, this this virus is probably 10 times as serious as the flu virus. So we need to be really careful about it. It does nasty things to patients when it gets in there and it can have long-term effects. So some of the some of the patients that we're seeing now, six months later, they're still having the ill effects of their COVID infection with fatigue, with breathlessness, with other with other sorts of things, and really having difficulty getting back to their life and to their work. This is a you know a dramatic impact. Terrible disease, isn't it? So we and we're still not sure, I guess, of the long-term effects with things. So Klaus, um, are there any other options like this currently available in terms of, I imagine it's such a big issue globally that there's probably a lot of companies working on it. And if so, why should I choose Go Passport over others? Well, the uh, choice is very simple for you. There is no other end-to-end solution like this. 
that we are aware of. If there is such a solution, it is keeping very quiet about being a solution and it's very quiet about what's going on. And I think that's probably because we're very good in Australia at border management. Uh, we have been successful and we have the, probably one of the best border management systems in the world. Now, we can brag a little bit about that, but one of the reasons is our location. We are surrounded by water. We're an island continent. We have been practicing very good border controls because of all of those characteristics for some time, but we've leveraged electronic systems. We've uh, leveraged information systems for 20 odd years doing this. So for us, it seemed like a natural response to this. We still think this is portable to other locations, but there is no other end-to-end -end solution like this. There are, however, apps out there and point solutions that will fix one part of the issue. I know that CETO, that looks after a lot of the airline industry, is spending a lot of effort on trying to clean up airport operations. That's really great stuff, right? If, if uh, people who are high risk are kept away from people who are low risk, then the low risk people will remain low risk, even at an airport. Tidying up the check-ins, the baggage drops, uh, all of those things are very important. So point solutions are already available and are being thought about aggressively, but nobody is looking at the end-to-end -end traveler experience that GoPassport does. Not many people have tried to actually guide the traveler away from risk in a real-time situation. Yeah, which it seems so critically important as well, is that it's a real key factor to what GoPassport can do. So a couple of technical things that I'm curious about. Do I have to have my phone on for it to work? Uh, yes. So what if I leave my phone at home when I'm out? So that's not a problem unless you're in quarantine and you're not supposed to leave home. So if you turn your phone off, <laughs> uh, if you leave it, uh, leave it at home and you go out, then, of course, you realise that you won't be alerted to anything that you might encounter along the way. We can't protect you, but we do use multiple channels of communication, and that's very important. And I'm glad you raised that issue because the cases you mentioned are sort of slight oversights or just you know, things people do, but people also lose phones. They break phones. Right? So what we do have is a website that allows you to go and initiate a replacement phone, uh, service for another device. We actually monitor whether or not your phone is active. And if your phone is not active for a certain amount of time, we can escalate the issue depending on where you are, either to your travel agent and say, hey, uh, we're expecting uh, this person to be in this particular location and we haven't heard from them. Perhaps they're in trouble. So we'll, we'll send you an email. We will try to contact through you through your travel agent or through your accommodation centre to try and work out what's going on and try to have that fixed. Okay, so that leads to a point then about is this mandated by government for me to use it? So I, I believe that government will want to mandate at least certain components of it. And, for example, uh, the preparation before you travel. There is no other way that the government would have visibility if you've had your vaccination or if you've been tested without this sort of service being available. If you go into self-isolation and quarantine, I suspect that the government will want to mandate that while you're in those particular settings, you will need to maintain your phone sharp and on and active so that you can be contacted and that we know where you are. And if, you get, if you're in trouble, we know if you're in trouble. Makes sense. Uh, during the other times, I think they'll be much more relaxed about it and say, well, it's a service we're providing to the traveller. 
Uh, and if you, you know, want to go off uh, off the radar and you don't need that service, that's a choice that you've made because now we're really protecting you as the traveller. You're already clear by arriving, having met all the requirements, so you're no longer a risk to the community. Now it's just a service to you. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess that's probably, as Australians, that's probably our biggest concern for international arrivals coming to ensure that they're not coming with the virus. So that kind of mitigates that component. John, if I can ask you, I'm here in Australia, I'm travelling. What happens if I get sick whilst I'm on my travels? So if you get sick while you're here, our app will facilitate um, your progress into the mainstream system. So initially a telehealth consult and a triage assessment will be done. Whether you need immediate escalation to further face-to-face care, we might send you to a GP or send you to the hospital. Now, insurance and Medicare and all those sorts of things are, are separate concerns, but we, we would have that facility to, as I say, streamline you into those, into those systems should you need medical care. Further to that, we know that quarantine, particularly for international students, can be very stressful. Um, So we have the capacity through our app to provide some wellbeing support during those 14 days or however long it might be to assist them with that stress. So we're taking a very proactive approach uh, to that as well. And that's something that our discussions with the university sector has been really well received. And more than that, we can also provide advice, support, reassurance to family back home who might be concerned about their their children who who are overseas. No, that's a great thing actually to know about as well. Yeah, fantastic service as part of it. So when I talk about, you know, we're talking about a lot of data here and especially my own health information. Klaus, how safe is my private information with the app, especially my health data? There isn't actually very much data kept on the app. On purpose, uh, the app is really a means of contacting and guiding you. So it needs minimal information about you. Most of the data is actually kept on our secure server in Australia. And that data is totally encrypted from the time that you enter it to the time that it ends up on the server and remains encrypted until it is required, for example, by the health service if they need to provide you assistance. So all of your data is encrypted end to end. We've considered the privacy of individuals by design. There are uh, two principal driving rules uh, that, that are sets of rules that we use. One are the Australian privacy principles, uh, which provide all sorts of protections for the data that individuals provide. And the key one there is that the data can only be used for the purpose that you provided it for. So we can't resell your data. We can't do anything with the data that you haven't approved upfront. The second thing is we're also complying with the European GDPR principles, which are the highest benchmark of privacy protection available in the world at the moment. And one of the key characteristics that we're offering is that if you so choose, at the end of your trip, you can ask to be forgotten by the system. You press a button and then all the personal identification data relating to you is automatically deleted from all parts of our system. Now, that's a really good thing to protect your privacy, but if you then want to come back three months later and you start a new process, you're going to have to tell us that same information again. So there is the option of not doing it, and there is the option to be forgotten, and that's a really powerful tool because it means that we could never recover information because it's gone. Nobody could get that information because it's gone. Anybody who tries to steal data from our systems will get encrypted data, which makes zero sense to anybody. 
So we've done all we can to try and protect the individual's privacy and to also protect the integrity of the systems. I think one of the other advantages of our system, we've talked about the, the public health protection to the nation, et cetera, et cetera, but we'll, have, we'll collect over time a large bank of data around people's travel, around their health, around their testing status, their vaccination, their progression perhaps to, to infection or not. This data over time will be incredibly important to the research community. And I think with the appropriate privacy and the appropriate ethics approvals over time, we'll be able to increase our knowledge around this virus because there will be another time. And if we can do it better next time, that would be a great thing. Fantastic. No, that makes perfect sense. So, uh, John and Klaus, it's been fantastic to talk to you both today and to understand this um, app and program and uh, the you know intricacies behind it in so much more depth. So I thank you both for sharing your knowledge and it makes me really excited, actually. One, as an Australian, for bringing people into the country and two, for uh, our travellers to be able to come here safely again in future. So thanks for your time today. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Bon voyage. The damage of the COVID-19 pandemic has had an all-encompassing, devastating effect on Australia's highly productive economy and the community. Closing of borders across the globe has ceased the international activity that drives our commerce and fuels our export economies. At Ransom is Australia's $85 billion export tourism sector, which includes education, tourism, essential migrant workforce and family and friends repatriation. Go Passport see this problem as being a community problem and have invited Australia's industry and investors to support our recovery through a crowdfunding process. From as little as 250 Australian dollars, you can purchase equity in Go Passport. To learn more about participation, go to www.onmarket.com.au.